Father, we've come into your presence with singing, we've heard scriptures, we've worshipped you through giving offerings. Father, we're longing for you to speak to us through your word this morning. Your word has power to bring life. It has power to call worlds and stars into existence. And how much more can it do in our own hearts as we open them to allow you to speak? Lord, your thoughts are not our thoughts and your ways are not our ways, but you promise that your word always accomplishes what you send it for. This morning, we're asking that your word would come and that it would touch our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Lord, we may not have expected to walk out of this church changed by Jesus, but we know that you are more than able to do that. And so we ask that you touch our hearts, you work a transformation, that we be drawn so much closer to Jesus this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I went to a school that was quite similar to the school that we have on the hill here. I'm so thankful for Stephen and Zalata and their work there day in and day out for our children because I appreciate what it's like to get to have a Christian education. I went to a school that was at one point a one-room school and then a two-room school. And I remember one teacher in particular that I didn't get along with so well. He wasn't so kind as Mr. Champion, I'm sure. And I remember one Friday... When it all broke loose, that Friday, I felt like this teacher was totally mistreating one of the students. Now, being a one-room classroom, you're there and you're an older student. I don't know if I was in sixth or seventh grade. And there was a little second grader who was sick. And the second grader said, I really want to call my mom. The teacher said, no, you can't call your mom. This began to broil inside of me. I thought, who is this teacher to say a kid can't call their mom? I'm, I have to do something about this. And I was just thinking there, what do I do? What do I do? And the kid just kept asking, can I please? I, I need to call my mom. I'm feeling so sick. And I said, no, you'll be fine. Don't worry about calling your mom. Finally, I, I raised my hand and he called on me. I said, look, I'm going to call 911 if you don't let this kid call his mom. He looked at me. He said, really? You're going to do that? I'm going to call your mom. So he got on the phone and he called my mom and said, you need to come pick up little Zachary. So my mom came, she picked me up. And that weekend I was supposed to stay with a friend because my parents were traveling to do some ministry and some work. Instead I had to go to their meetings. I didn't get to go to my friend's house. I missed out on so much. I felt like I was persecuted for just trying to do what was right. I was trying to help this kid who was suffering. I was trying to do what's right. How do you react when you're mistreated? When you think you're doing what's right, when you're going the right direction, you feel like you're following God, and yet things go wrong in your life. Isn't, it's not supposed to happen that way, isn't it? When you're following God, when you're doing what's right, isn't everything supposed to come together perfectly? And you walk down the street, everything works out just right, and you have all the money that you need, you have no sickness, you have no problems in your life. Isn't this what it's about to follow God? Or is it? Last week we talked about Revelation chapter 2, the church of Ephesus. I want to invite you to go back to Revelation chapter 2. Today we're going to be looking at the church of Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2. 
I hope over this past week you've been able to put into practice some of the things we talked about last week. If you missed last week's sermon, it's on the the, uh, podcast on our website. You can just go to templetonhills.avenusfaith.org and click on media and you can find it there. Returning to our first love. That's something that God has continued to stir in my own heart over the past week. I've realized how easy it is to slip away from some of those things that drew us so close to Jesus. Over the past couple of years, I've had this goal of writing down a certain number of blessings every day. And over the past couple of weeks, I don't know if it was because of the Revelation seminar and being busy every night. I'm not sure what it was, but I had set a goal for this year that I was going to write down 12 blessings, just 12 good things that I saw that God had done in my life and just thank Him for them every morning because that really helps my heart to fall more in love with Jesus. Any relationship you're in, if you focus on the good attributes, the good things about that relationship... It stirs love in your heart. Try it. If you're feeling towards your spouse that you have some, I just don't love them anymore, try listing every single day the good things about that person. Just, it may take some time, it may take some effort, but it'll make a difference. I've found that that happens in my relationship with God. It re-stirs that love in my heart for God when I focus on all of His blessings. Because there's a whole lot more blessings than I recognize. Well, I got to the end of this week, actually... Before doing the message last week, I realized that that was one of the things that I needed to do in returning to my first love. You know, often when I'm preparing a sermon, God is speaking to my own heart saying, hey, this is the things that will help you in your relationship with God. But you know, I don't know about you, but maybe over the week you tend to forget the things that God has impressed upon your mind. And that was the way for me this past week. I was busy, I traveled to Maryland, and over the week I didn't get a chance to really do that of recording my blessings, recording the praises that I saw God had done in my life. And I got to yesterday, and I knew that I'd be standing up here, and I would be sharing with you, and I'm thinking, if I'm going to share about the next church in Revelation, and yet I haven't put into practice what we talked about from the first church, that doesn't make sense. I need to return to my first love this morning. So yesterday, I tallied up how many blessings for my own personal goal. There's nothing special holy about this goal, but to write down 12 blessings a day, I needed to write down over 120 blessings. I was close to 130, and I was just thinking, how am I going to do this? I don't even remember what I did, ate for lunch yesterday, let alone all the blessings for the past week. But I'll tell you, God is good. So I sat there, and I began to type them out one by one, just thanking God for the little things I realized how many big things there were. I realized how many people that I've been praying for that God had been working in their life. I have a friend who's working for a company and he's been really struggling, worried that they're going to lay him off. And he got a text message from that company just saying, we just really want to pre- let you know how much we appreciate this work that you've been doing. I realized again and again how many blessings, how God is working, how he's stirring in hearts, and yet so often I miss it. So often I'm not filled with his love because I'm not focused on his goodness. So I just had to share a little testimony. As we get into the next church, don't forget Ephesus. Don't forget to return to your first love. That's the foundation. Love for Jesus has to be where we start, especially as we look at this message of the church of Smyrna. How does God help us when we're facing difficult times, when we're facing trials, even though we're following God, even though we're trying to be faithful. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 8. And the, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, 
These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Smyrna was the church next in the route that a messenger would take going around Asia Minor. From Ephesus, he would have, next city he would have come to was Smyrna. Smyrna means myrrh, a word that it was a, a spice that was used, a very fragrant spice. In fact, it was often used for embalming the dead. It was also a, 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 a fragrance that was used in worship sometimes. It was a really good smelling spice. So here he writes to the city called Smyrna, or to this church, church in Smyrna, Today, we don't know where a town called Smyrna is, but in Turkey, we believe that this may be the city of Izmir. The church of Smyrna is likely where modern-day Izmir is in Turkey. Now, it has become a great city in that area. It's become a massive city, but at the time, it wasn't such a big city. As we notice in verse 9, it says, I know your works, tribulation, and poverty. They were poor in Smyrna. They weren't wealthy Christians there, like in Ephesus, those who were part of this wealthy trade. Here in Smyrna, it seems that they actually were some of the poorer folks in in the Christian church. But notice what Jesus says. He says, I know your works, I know your tribulation, I know your poverty, but you are rich. You may feel poor, you may feel like you're going through tribulation, you may feel like you're working for me and it's not paying off, but you are actually really rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. There were those who were claiming to be Christians. We are modern-day Israel. There were those who were claiming to be Christians, and yet who were, they were the Gnostics. They were bringing in a false knowledge, a false supposed gospel that was detracting people from following Jesus. There were also real Jews who were persecuting real Christians at this time. Do not fear, this is verse 10, any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. This is a beautiful message. And yet at the same time, it's a very challenging message. Can you imagine being told this? This is a a prophecy about your future. I mean, we've looked at the church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus was that early church that was successful in spreading the gospel, that was doing so much for God. And, And we see the trend through early Christian history that this is a prophecy of what was taking place. From when Jesus was crucified all the way up until the close of the first century, about 100 AD, this is the church that's represented. Now we're going into the second church in Christian history. This represents another time period in the Christian church. And look at what is prophesied. Imagine if this is what Jesus was saying to you for your life. Verse 10 again, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. What? This isn't what I signed up for. Jesus, I'm following you because you're going to bless my life. It's going to be easy, right? Tribulation, suffering, all... Why? 
must have been a challenging message to hear as a church in Smyrna. And then for Jesus to say to you, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. But remember who it is who's saying this. At the beginning of each of the messages to the church, Jesus introduces himself in a different way. When it was to the church of Ephesus, he introduced himself as the one who holds the stars in his, seven stars in his hand, the one who walks among the candlesticks, the one who's caring intimately for his church. But how did he introduce himself to this church? We go back again to verse 8. It says, these things says the first and the last. That's that alpha and the omega, the one who begins your experience and the one who completes it, the one who is the almighty, the one who sees you through. And what are his credentials? It continues, who was dead and came to life. You see what Jesus is saying here? Saying, you're going to suffer. You're going to go through this. You may have to be faithful all the way to the point of death. And I'm telling you this as the one who died and rose again. I am the one who's experienced what you're going to go through. You may suffer, you may go through trials, but it's nothing that I haven't already experienced. What does it talk about in Hebrews? In Hebrews chapter 4, that we have a high priest who's not like other high priests who can't identify with us, but in all things which we have suffered, he has also suffered it. He's been tempted with the same things that you've been tempted with. He knows what you're going through. I don't know what you've faced over the past week. Maybe you're facing financial struggles. Maybe you're facing family conflicts. Maybe you just don't know where to turn. You don't know the direction that you're supposed to go in your life. Jesus understands what you're going through. He's been there. And he is your great high priest who has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's the first and the last, and he's the one who wants to complete the good work which he's begun in you. But he gives this challenging message. He says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Coming to be Christians, we don't often expect that we're going to have to experience suffering. And yet this is the reality of the gospel. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. But you know, Jesus had already told his disciples early on that they should expect this in the Sermon on the Mount. Go with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives some challenging instructions to us when we're going through difficult times. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 11. Now he's been going through the Beatitudes, we call them, the, the things where he says, blessed are those. The word there in Greek is makarios, which basically means happy, blessed, fulfilled. This is a good thing in your life. Blessed are those, verse 11 says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. Blessed are you. Happy are you when they revile you, when they persecute you. Really? And say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. When you're trying to stand up for what's right at work and it doesn't turn out well for you. When you stand up for what's right in your family, when you're standing up for Jesus and you're persecuted, you're reviled, Jesus says, you're blessed. You're happy. Then he goes on, verse 12. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice. Be exceedingly glad when you go through these things because 
your reward in heaven is great. And you look at what happened in the lives of the disciples. The disciples who sat at Jesus' feet and they heard this, before the cross, they ran when they faced persecution. They denied Jesus when they faced persecution. But something about the cross, seeing what Jesus was willing to go through for them, recognizing that he had taken all of their sin on himself so that he could provide them with an eternal reward of eternal life. Having seen that, go with me to Acts chapter 5 where we pick up the story of the disciples, these same disciples being persecuted. In Acts chapter 5, early on, it says that the apostles were thrown into prison. And then it says that an angel came by night and released them from prison. So what do they do when they've been released from prison? Well, of course, they immediately go and begin preaching Jesus, that for which they were thrown in prison in the first place. They're not going to stop doing what's right just because of persecution. They keep on sharing Jesus. They keep on living for Jesus. They keep on doing what's right no matter how bad things get in their life. No matter what they suffer, they keep on sharing Jesus. So when the officers hear that, when the priests hear that, they call for the disciples. They call them into the council and they're trying to decide what they should do with them. Gamaliel tells them that they should allow them to just continue on because God won't let it continue. But they decide that they're at least going to beat the apostles. So if you find in verse 40, it says, And they agreed with him. That's Gamaliel. This is Acts chapter 5 and verse 40. They agreed with him. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, beating somebody. For some of you, you may have been in a school where you got some kind of uh, punishments when you were younger. It used to be allowed in our schools. This isn't just like a beating that you received from your mother. It's not just a beating that you might have received in school. This is something far more intense. It may have been something where they were lashed or where they were beaten with rods. Their backs would have been bloodied and scarred from being beaten. They would have been in intense physical pain. And then they're told, don't go and preach Jesus anymore. This is bullying at its greatest. This is a, a, a terrible situation for the apostles. And, and I can't imagine, but at that point, thinking, well, okay, maybe it's not worth talking about Jesus. Maybe this isn't the right place. They don't really want to hear anyway. They're just going to end up beating me. But look at how these disciples respond in verse 41. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Here are these apostles. They've been beaten. They've been mistreated. They were doing what was right. They're preaching Jesus and they get mistreated. And how do they respond? They rejoice. They're excited. They're praising God saying, wow, we had the privilege of suffering for Jesus. Now let's be real. How do you have that kind of of reaction to persecution, to trials, to difficulties. I mean, again and again in the New Testament, it tells us to rejoice in our trials. James chapter 1 and verse 2 tells us to consider it all joy, my brothers, when you endure various trials, 
We're supposed to consider it joy when we go through trials, when we go through difficulties. How is this even possible? Have you ever wondered that? How did these apostles live like this? Was it just something special about them? We're told in James chapter 5 that Elijah was a man just like us. These people had a character just like you and I did, but they knew the secret. And the secret is the first and the last. The one who died and who rose again. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14, I believe, reveals a crucial point in the life of a Christian. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14, says this, For the love of Christ compels us. What is it that compels you to be here in church today? What is it that compels you in your walk with God? What is it that compels you as you go through life on a daily basis? What is it that drives you, that motivates you? It is the love of Christ, Paul says, that should motivate us, that should compel us. Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. This is what resurrection is all about. This is what this weekend where the world is thinking about Good Friday, they're thinking about Jesus being in the tomb, resting on the Sabbath day. They're thinking about the resurrection that takes place on Sunday. So often we look at that as alone what Jesus has done for us. And we need to recognize what Jesus has done for us. But the question this morning is, how does that impact our lives? What does that mean for our life today? It means salvation. It means that I can come to Jesus and I can accept His death and His resurrection and I can ask that He cleanse me from all of my sins. And then what? What comes after that? What does Paul say? He says he died for all so that all could what? Live for him. No longer to live for themselves. This is what Christianity is all about. In Smyrna, they had some Christians who had a false system of following Jesus. They were following it for their own purposes, for their own reasons. They weren't in it truly for Jesus. But Jesus calls us to something altogether different. Like Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Jesus Christ now lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Back in 2005, when I went through a a conversion experience in my life. I hit rock bottom and I decided that I had nothing left in my life. I've shared about this some before. I remember as I decided to give a year of my life to God. As I was going to sleep one night, I was starting on this ministry team. I remember laying there and saying, you know what, God? It's not about me anymore. It's not about my life anymore. You know, I don't have anything left that matters Everything else is really rubbish in comparison to knowing you, Jesus. I just want to live my life wholly for you. 
That's what happens when we come into contact with a crucified and risen Savior. It should impact us to the place where we say, it's not my life anymore. It's not my job anymore. But everything in my life is simply to bring glory to Jesus. And if trials bring glory to Jesus, then praise the Lord. I'm willing to go through trials. If whatever difficulties I go through bring glory to Jesus, then I'm willing to go through it. But something tends to happen in our experience. Oftentimes we'll go through this conversion experience. We see the cross of Christ and it impacts us in a powerful way. And then life goes on. And I remember over the the coming months and weeks and years, little by little I began to think of things that I, I actually did want for my life. There were some dreams and some plans that I actually did kind of want to add on to living my life totally for Jesus. I began to add in some of my own plans, maybe my own career goals and different objectives that I wanted for my life. And little by little, that first love began to erode away. You see, it's only as we're wholly living for Jesus, saying it's not my life anymore. Jesus, you died on the cross. You rose again, not so that I could live my own life in my own way, but so that I could live wholly for you. I'm realizing I have to come to that place on a daily basis. 1 Corinthians 15, 31, Paul says, I die daily. It's a daily experience of saying, okay, God, today, it's not about me. I was sentenced to death. I don't deserve to live. I don't deserve to take another breath. But you, the breath and the life, you, the first and the last, have given me life. And so I want to live this day for you. It's a gift from you, and so I want to give it back to you. I want to bring glory to you today. Romans chapter 5, our scripture reading, talks about that. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1, tells us that we've been justified by faith. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says in in John 16, that I have spoken these things that you may have peace. In this world, you have tribulation. You are going to go through trials, tribulation, suffering. But you have peace when you fully surrender your life to me no matter what you go through. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Do you glory in the difficult things that come into your life, the difficult trials that you face, the difficult circumstances in your life? Do you glory in those trusting that this is going to be an opportunity for God to manifest His glory in your life? It's going to be an opportunity to witness to those around you where they're going to see the love of Jesus in your life and what it can do in a difficult circumstance. I'm afraid I don't always live that way. But I want to because It's such an amazing, beautiful experience that we see in the Bible. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Remember last week we talked about in 1 John 4 where it says that there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out all fear, because fear involves judgment, 
But when we have Jesus, when we have the love of Jesus burning in our hearts, there's no longer fear. And so we can really experience what it says in Revelation chapter 2 to the church of Smyrna. Do not fear, verse 10, any of those things which you are about to suffer. Don't be afraid. You're going to go through hard times. You're going to face difficulties. But do not fear. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. So what happened in the 100s and 200s of Christianity? What took place in Christian history? In the Great Controversy, page 40, it says this, Christians were falsely accused of the most dreadful crimes and declared to be the cause of great calamities. Famine, pestilence, and earthquake. You see, Christians were the ones who refused to worship the cults of the Roman society. They refused to bow down and to be a part of these false worship gatherings. And because of that, when things went wrong, they got the blame. They said, you're not worshiping. You're not a part of our, our emperor, worshiping the emperor, so you're to blame for what's going on. As they became the objects of popular hatred and suspicion, informers stood ready for the sake of gain to betray the innocent. They were condemned as rebels against the empire, as foes of religion and pests to society. They were despised. They were seen as outcasts in society. They were seen as the problem. Great numbers were thrown to wild beasts or burned alive in the amphitheaters. Some were crucified. Others were covered with skins of wild animals and thrust in the arena to be torn by dogs. Their punishment was often made the chief entertainment of public feasts. Vast multitudes assembled to enjoy the sight and greeted their dying agonies with laughter and applause. Really, Jesus? Is this what I signed up for? Here I'm following you and I'm going through all of this suffering, all of these difficulties. I'm going to be fed to lions? But it's amazing. As you read in books like Fox's Book of Martyrs, you read about the, the joy that lit up their faces as they went to be fed to lions, as they went to be burned at the stake. They were singing songs of praise to Jesus. They were filled with joy. So much joy that it transformed the world around them. In fact, we'll, we'll keep on reading page 41 of Great Controversy. It says, These called to mind the words of their Master, that when persecuted for Christ's sake, they were to be exceedingly glad. For great would be their reward in heaven. Just like Jesus said to the church in Smyrna, be faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life. For so the prophets had been persecuted before them. They rejoiced that they were accounted worthy to suffer for the truth and songs of triumph ascended from the midst of crackling flames. Can you imagine what this would do to you as a persecutor? Here you've taken somebody, you have falsely accused them, you've thrown them to be burned at the stake. And as they're being burned and you're excited that they're being tortured, sometimes they would purposefully kindle a small fire so that it would be the most agony possible. And there they are with smiles on their faces, singing praises to Jesus. Wow, what impact that would have on you. And you know it's the same way in your life. When the car breaks down, when you're getting mistreated by your boss at work, when things are going on in your family, when people are mistreating you, 
and you continue to praise Jesus because he's your Savior, because you've been crucified with him and it's no longer you that live, but now it's Jesus Christ that lives, when you continue to trust in Jesus in difficult times, it's an incredible witness to the world around you. Looking upward by faith, they saw Christ and angels leaning over the battlements of heaven, gazing upon them with the deepest interest and regarding their steadfastness with approval. A voice came down to them from the throne of God, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give unto thee a crown of life. One of the ministers in the church at Smyrna wasn't too long after this message was given to John, maybe some 60 years afterwards, He was one of the chief ministers in the church of Smyrna. His name was Polycarp. For 40 years, he led the church in Smyrna in these difficult times when emperor after emperor would persecute the Christians or at least give authority to those in the empire to falsely accuse and persecute the Christians. It was a difficult time to minister, and eventually, as person after person was martyred, it came to the place where Polycarp, too, faced martyrdom. One day, soldiers came to the farmhouse where Polycarp was staying, and as they came into the farmhouse, Polycarp ordered, or asked, the farmhouse, uh, the farmer's wife to fix dinner for the attackers. The wife fixed them dinner, and as the soldiers were there eating, it said that Polycarp went off to the side, and he began to pray for every Christian that he could think of. He just wanted to have some time to be able to pray for the Christians who he knew were enduring persecution. For two hours, he prayed for every Christian that he could think of. And then eventually, they finished their dinner, they grabbed him, and they took him to trial. As they took him into the Colosseum and they had him there, the governor, looking at Polycarp, seeing that he was a good man, a righteous man, not somebody deserving of being put to death, he said, I don't find him guilty. I don't think he deserves death. But the crowds began to cry out, feed him to the lions, feed him to the lions. He said, we can't do that. The lions are full from the people that we've already fed to them. And besides that, it's past the hour in the day when we can feed people to lions. So they said, we'll burn him at the stake then. This was actually took place on a Sabbath. And it said that the Jews at the time were so anxious for Polycarp to be put to death that they were foremost in going out and gathering firewood on the Sabbath to kindle the fires that would burn Polycarp. But Polycarp was another who stood for Jesus, giving the ultimate sacrifice, being faithful unto death, because the governor said, look, just curse Jesus and I'll let you go free. All you have to do is curse Jesus. And the governor fully thought that Polycarp would deny Jesus because He was a good, upstanding man. But listen to Polycarp's response. Eighty and six years have I served him, and never has he done me wrong. How then can I curse my king who saved me? Polycarp was then burned at the stake, but he continued to trust in Jesus. Jesus who promised Polycarp, who promises you that if we are faithful, if we continue to cling to Jesus, if we don't leave our first love, we will receive the crown, which is eternal life. 
That crown in Revelation 2, it's not the crown of a king, but it's the crown that was given to victors at the games, the Olympic games. It's the crown that was given to wrestlers at the end of winning a competition. It's the crown that was given to those who were retiring from success in a public office. It's a crown that's given to those who have overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Great Controversy, page 41, continues, and it exposes what took place as all of these Christians were martyred Said a Christian expostulating with the heathen rulers who were urging forward the persecution, you may kill us, torture us, condemn us. Your injustice is the proof that we are innocent. Nor does your cruelty avail you. It was but a stronger invitation to bring others to their persuasion. Tertullian said this, the oftener we are mown down by you, the more in number we grow. The blood of Christians is seed. This is what we find from Christian history as beginning in 100 AD, the Christian church experienced intense persecution all the way up until the Edict of Milan in in, in 313 AD when Constantine gave favor to the Christian nation. They had been forewarned that this was what was going to take place. They were told that it would take place for 10 days and the most intense persecution, taking the day for a year principle in Bible prophecy, the most intense persecution took place between 303 and 313 when Diocletian especially persecuted the church. But all of that persecution, all of those trials, all of those difficulties only served to glorify Jesus. And Jesus wants to do the same thing in your life, in my life. When we choose to follow the risen Christ. When we choose to be crucified with Christ, to go through trials with Christ, so that it's no longer we who live, but Jesus Christ who now lives in us. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what difficulties you anticipate over this coming week, but I know that Jesus is the first and the last, that he's the Almighty, and that he has enough power to see you through. I know that he promises to fill you with joy, with peace, with love in the midst of difficult circumstances, and that that will make you a bright, shining light like you could not be if you did not face those difficulties. So my challenge to you for this coming week Rejoice in every tribulation. Rejoice in every trial because you know that God is faithful. And God has promised you, he said that all things work together for good. He causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Do you want to remain faithful unto death? Do you want to live a life that's no longer for you, but that is all for Jesus, the one who died for you? If that's your desire, I just want to invite you to stand with me as I pray. Jesus, we're standing for you, the one who went all the way to the cross so that we could experience salvation the one who took our sins, our death penalty on yourself so that we could have eternal life. Oh Jesus, we are so weak and our promises are so frail, but we want to be faithful unto death. Would you please fill us with your Holy Spirit? Would you please make us faithful in your strength? Thank you so much for pouring out your Holy Spirit on us today, for filling us with that perfect love that casts out all fear. May we cling to Jesus. May we trust you, the name above all names. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.